Spectre Creative Studio. Everybody is enjoying themselves to their fullest extent. It's a wonderful sight seeing people genuinely enjoying themselves. There's no false pretense about this whatsoever. Hello, and welcome to What's Cool, a podcast about passions and everything else. I'm your host, Sam Bry Will, and today's guest is Margaret Mary O'Connor. She's a former chaplain and is currently a Eucharistic minister at Our Lady of Charity Parish. She's an activist and author of the book Scandals in the Shadow. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Well, thank you very much, Sam. I really appreciate it. How's your first October morning? Is it getting cold where you are? Uh, it's a little cool in the 50s. Okay. And uh, we had some rain, but oh, we had just a, a gorgeous September. It was really, we were in the 70s and the 80s. Wow, that's so nice. It started to cool down. I'm in the South. So usually our fall, our autumn doesn't really start until November. Uh, but this year it was really nice to have actually a little bit of like, you know, coolness and weather, different change. So I'm glad that you guys have had the same experience. But what about the colors? Have you seen that? Um, they're not changing yet. There's few, you know, we have a lot of evergreens, a lot of pine forests where I am. So it's kind of like it's interspersed. Sometimes it'll be like orange and then red and then very green. And then at about the end of November, beginning of December, everything's usually just dead. So oh, <laughs> it just happens all at once. special about seeing such a palette of colors. I know. I saw you have an autumn is your favorite color uh, pillow behind you. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> It is. It's so nice. We like to go to the mountains and kind of um, drive up because we're close to the Blue Ridge Mountain, like the very end of it, uh, the chain. So we like to drive up and kind of see the colors sometimes. And it's nice. It's, it'll surprise you. You'll get an outcropping of just like beautiful, you know, hues. You're like, whoa, it is finally cooling down. <laughs> so before we begin, I just want to know a little bit about you. Um, I introduced you a little bit. Can you tell me and the viewers, you know, what do you, what do, you do currently? And essentially, how did you get to that point? Okay, uh, right now, um, I'm on a journey, if you will, to begin a conversation, a worldwide conversation amongst Catholics and Christians on the factual truth of early woman priest history in the Catholic Church. And unfortunately, the hierarchy of this church has a very selective memory on this issue. But I believe at minimum, any Catholic deserves at least the truth. And I was on a former podcast show with Matt Napo, and he came right out and he said, Margaret, are you David going against Goliath? And I said, yes, I'm little David going against the Catholic church. And that's exactly how I feel. Uh, the weight of it, the enormity of it all is, is presently with me. You have to remember, I grew up back in the 1950s in the Catholic Church, and we were told then, look at there simply never were women priests within our church's history. And it was a time that you just wouldn't question your pastor, let alone Rome. Right. And that's why I find this whole situation where I am currently so surreal that here I am, I've written a book about the most famous woman priest, Mary, Mother of God. Uh, I'm out picketing for women's ordination and as well on the priest sexual abuse 
issue and against an enabler bishop. Uh, so I step back and I still, it's, it's just something that's totally unreal, you know, in the context of how I grew up with the belief that there were absolutely, um, there just weren't women priests. And now to find that out, this was, this was just so hurtful. Um, how do you begin to swallow, let alone digest the fact that you have been betrayed, your own trust has been betrayed by your own church. So I went on uh, very resigned to this fact, to this hurtful fact. And all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, I know I'm just one Catholic. I know this truth. And there are other Catholics here and worldwide that know it. But unfortunately there are millions of others uh, again, worldwide or here in the U.S., that have absolutely no conception of the factual truth of the issue of uh, woman priest uh, in our church. And I want any Catholic or Christian to see the Catholic Church like they've never seen it before. And to begin with, I want them to come to this woman ordination issue a new way. Uh, in the context of factual truth, as opposed to the centuries-old scandal of lies, cover-up, and deceit coming from the Catholic Church hierarchy. So uh, my work is really cut out. Yeah, you um, have a lot on your plate, it seems like. What, uh, so you mentioned that you grew up in the Catholic Church. Did you want to be a part of the church organization from a young age? Was that something that you got into as you grew up? Um, how did you decide to get into the, you know, clergy? Well, it's funny. When, when I was young, um, I went to a public school. I didn't go to Catholic school. And we had a very conservative pastor. And basically... Um, I could not join like uh, CYO or the, the Girl Scouts because even though I was Catholic, I should have, in his mind, you belong in the Catholic school. You don't belong in that public school. So right there, there was, from, the, from that early beginning, there was <laughs> controversy. And um, my father was really upset. So basically he had gone to uh, he couldn't see the bishop, but uh, a bishop, assistant bishop under him. And uh, we finally were able to move to the parish where I am today because he was, you know, just so fed up, unfortunately, with this ridiculous uh, belief. Uh, yeah. Then, fortunately, we came upon a wonderful pastor, Father Stanton. Uh, he's since deceased, but oh my God, he came right off the altar and for us in the Catholic Church, that was new. Now it happens all the time. He came right down the center steps and he's walking down the middle of the aisle and everyone's turning around. Where's this man going? You know, what is he doing? Right. But uh, he was really, uh, he was with it. And it was just so refreshing to have a priest that wasn't tied up in the, uh, entangled in the inertia, the, uh, canon law. Law is very important, but if law is hurting someone, um, 
that isn't right. So uh, he was like a, a breath of fresh air and even Vatican II um, it came in and this was a whole new way of looking at your faith. And the Pope, John the 23rd said, I want to open up the windows. You know, I want people to see the signs of the times. Well, this was really radical, but it was refreshing in another way because, uh, you know, he was with, with the times and it's something that you can relate to. Um, obviously, at the time of Jesus, this was a very small gathering of Christians. So it was very personal. It was very intimate. And, but through the centuries, of course, now we have this complete inertia and things do need to change. And unfortunately, there might be some Catholics out there. I'm only the messenger. But you have to realize within Vatican II, you are given the right as part of the laity to actually speak out on matters of importance. And there's so many times, uh, Sam, when we were picketing, uh, this wasn't for women's ordination, this was a, a, for the priest sexual abuse issue. There were Catholics coming out and, you know, shame on you, speaking out against the hierarchy. And one woman whipped open her coat, it was the middle of winter. I thought, oh my God, do you have a gun? She had a cup of holy water and she started to bless us. I was at the other end. And I said, no, ma'am, I said, I'm a Catholic. I know exactly what's going on in that church. But instead of uh, being in a like, state of denial and, and looking the other way, it's hurtful. Yes, it is. But we're out there to protect children. And really, when you look back in the history of the Catholic Church, in Jesus's ministry, uh, where was this, where was it all right for a priest to rape a child? I mean, seriously. No, it's, it's, a, um, it's outrageous. You look at the principles of Jesus, his inclusivity, his love, his common sense. Right. And, you know, you compare that to, to what's happening today. And we are not here to tear down the church we just want a church that is more closer to Jesus Christ and to the morality uh, that, that was there. Uh, I grew up in the Baptist church, so there was not um, as much of a hierarchical structure where there's, you know, so many forces at play, but at the, I mean, but there is also, there are groups, there are alliances, there's a narrative that's spoken. So it's a little bit different, I think, as far as the uh, strong hand approach that the Catholic church has. But I think you and I definitely came to, I came to a lot of conclusions that you had where I was seeing a lot of things that were happening, um, you know, that really made me question what I was hearing you know, hearing about, like you were saying, the common sense of Jesus, the inclusivity versus some of the uh, interpretations of the Bible that were being, you know, relayed to us as a, you know, as a group. It just didn't make sense for me as I started getting older where I was kind of, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. Um, I want to circle back really quickly, just in case people don't uh, know, when you we spoke about being in a parish, what exactly is a parish and why did you have to move to change churches? Oh, um, a parish is, um, it's a Catholic community, you know, gathered to celebrate. And there, it used to be, there was actually divisional lines 
if you lived on the other side of McKinley Parkway, well, then you knew you had to go to St. Thomas's. Or okay. if you lived where I did, you went to St. Martin's. Or uh, then across the way was St. Ambrose. But no, that was for people basically off of South Park. You know, there's okay. that, that's how... Like you get, you weren't able to choose where you wanted to go. Is essentially like yes, that that okay. was it. It was basically where you resided. Uh, you were within their confines, but now that's changed. Okay. You can basically, you know, go wherever you want to go. Okay, so it's not like that anymore. Yeah. Um. So when when you moved, what like what time period is this? How old were you? Um. Whenever you moved to your new church and kind of saw. Oh, like, uh, this was um. This was back in the 1970s. Okay. So you're a little bit older yes, at this point. Okay. In the 20s. How yes. did that experience impact the way that you, once you started seeing the embracement of Vatican II and all of these new kind of radical changes that you were embracing, how did that uh, shift your perspective towards going into a career into the church? Uh, it basically, I, I found it again so refreshing because there was a certain openness to it and something that was not that your faith is stale, but I think you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Uh, you're seeing it uh, in, in a new light. And, and that's something which my former pastor, Father Stanton, he was one that you don't get upset if people question because that means you're growing stronger, you know, within your faith life. Right. And well, questioning. Yeah. I mean, it's like, paying attention and wanting to um, explore more and wanting to devote more and wanting to know more, I think is a part of that journey that you were speaking about. Definitely. Uh, when did you start getting very active as far as picketing and that sort of thing? Okay. Uh, well, I'm almost 70. So it was in my uh, 60s that I okay. began <clears throat> to picket uh, on this issue. So recently? And Yes, and through right. the years, um, back in the 80s, I heard a dynamite sister, uh, and basically, she, if you want to know the pulse of the, the Catholic Church, this Joan Chittister, she is really with it. Well, anyway, she was sp speaking on a woman priest history, and, and this really, uh, you know, opened up my eyes. And because before that, I heard what I would consider rumors that there were women mm -hmm. priests. And through the years, uh, my curiosity, it just, it really, I guess, got the best of me. Mm -hmm. And um, then I started to investigate. When and you say rumors, do you mean like rumors as in they were negative, like you weren't supposed to speak about it? It was kind of a hush-hush situation? Or was it rumors as of like, oh, I read something the other day that might indicate, like, what was the perspective of women priests? Oh, it, it wasn't that it was really hush-hush, but it wasn't okay, okay. low tone earlier, you okay. know, like back in the 50s, 60s, but then, you know, beyond that. Um, but again, it's just, it's like light years away, obviously, from right. the 50s to where we are today. And um, I, I think a lot of Catholics have a fear of change. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, things do change. They but do. it's ironic that the Catholic Church hierarchy will say, well, no, we can't have women priests because um, this would change our tradition. 
But if you look back into the early church history, it was the early church hierarchy at that period that yes, they changed the tradition when miraculously they uh, enacted new canon law, which basically removed women out of their religious positions. And wow. there were, uh, aside from women priests, there were women uh, deacons, there were women bishops, and uh, women apostles. Um, we've all heard the story of Jesus sending out his 12, the 12 male apostles. Right. But in the Catholic Church anyway, uh, aside from Mary Magdalene, um, we really didn't hear about woman, other women apostles. And I was reading this article by Ida Ramby, and it was called, The Twelve Apostles Were Men. And she came upon this concept of apostleship. I never heard of that before, but basically it said way back in the early church history, to be an apostle would be anyone that was sent out soundly and officially by either the community or the risen one. So this is like a whole new uh, insight that mm -hmm. uh, like a local community as well right. had the ability to, and that's why it gives more credence then that beyond uh, Mary Magdalene, there was the Samaritan woman, there were the woman uh, at the tomb, yeah. there was Nino. Uh, Junia for years was believed to be a male disciple and the latest research has proved that Junia is or was a woman apostle. Wow. So a lot of enlightenment that has been kind of, um, I don't want to say ignored, but not highlighted from the church is what I guess, I guess we're getting at. Uh, yes. And conveniently um, forgotten. Mm. Now I do realize to give <clears throat> the church hierarchy their due, when things did change, the, um, the canon lawyers, uh, the theologians, the actual people that, you know, wrote the, what was happening in the church, they would have had no reason to keep um, that history of women priests like up right. in the front, because now if it's not allowed, obviously, well then uh, why would you write about it? Right, it's buried. But what really irks me is that through, um, well, as long as I've been alive or can remember, the hierarchy was contending that there never were women priests, but yet in the year 2000, uh, there were three separate studies on that issue of women priests. So come on, uh, you certainly, uh, if you forgot about the past, you would have seen, you know, that research. And this is, um, let your audience know this isn't just some like uh, conjecture or make believe. This is biblical research. And the credit goes to all those individuals, whether they're male or female religious, um, no matter whether they're Catholic, uh, you know, the other denominations, they have done the hard work. They have to know their Latin, they have to know their mm -hmm. French, you know, to go back and do this research and to whittle it down. And they are the ones that have brought us this information 
and in particular, there was uh, Gary Macy, The Hidden History of Woman in the Catholic Church. And he comes out, his first sentence is, the first 1,200 years of uh, Christianity, there were woman-ordained priests. And he basically said something like, it surprised me. Well, it certainly surprised me. And then there's uh, John Winsgard's uh, the ordination of woman in the Catholic Church. And he even has a separate chapter on uh, the devotion uh, to Mary Priest. And I, I got to that chapter and I, wait a minute, am I seeing what I'm seeing? I mean, it was just wonderful, but to, to actually take this in and then again to get that feeling mm. that this has been um, withheld from me. So it's not just the idea that it's bad enough that you've been lied to, but there's a certain type of a loss involved here because if you're, um, okay, I'm Irish, so let's pretend in Irish families, if you had a, a male a priest, it would go from one family generation to another. Uh, maybe in my generation, um, Father Sean is a priest, but maybe in um, my grandfather's generation, father, uh, there was Bishop Christopher. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? It just yeah. goes. And of course, being a young, if you were a young boy in the church, you had plenty of role models. Mm, but what yeah. about for any woman in the Catholic Church? This is a whole lost religious heritage. And I think it's exclusive too. It definitely like cuts out that female perspective and that female inclusion that way you were talking about was not perpetuated by Jesus where he did teach an inclusive message. Yes. So you said, did, did you start finding these revelations about women priests? Is this what in your sixties, is that what motivated you to start picketing or did you kind of find that before and then eventually worked up the courage and bravery to start your activism? Uh, yes, there's, um, well, what happened was there's other Catholic groups like Call to Action, Future Church, and then when I started to belong to them, then there was like an avenue to picket. Mm -hmm. But um, my interest, as I say, really started back in the 1980s, but then with okay. these other Catholic groups, uh, because when you're out on the picket line, Sam, if you don't have many picketers, it's like the people are more emboldened. Really, you know, uh, really give it to you. Mm -hmm. And it's just unreal. Uh, some of them are very snide remarks. Others are, we well, can't say them here. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yes, it, it runs the gamut. Others, they're screaming at you literally. Oh, um, yeah, hostile. Oh, that other church. Very hostile. Or, you know where, <laughs> yes. So it's sad because I'm seeing those Catholics and obviously this is their first introduction to this truth. Mm. But unfortunately, they are so upset at us that they can't look beyond us because they know that the hierarchy has told them that there weren't women priests. So why are you making these lies up? Right. I mean, and I think that's, yeah, it's any kind of um, any kind of information that causes people to think differently or to question more, and it kind of rocks their foundation. I think going back to what you were saying of like 
people not being, or I guess in your case specifically Catholics, not wanting to embrace change, that this kind of radical information completely shook everything that they had been taught and told. So it's very, you're in a very precarious situation as well, where you, I'm sure you're small in number, and as well you have, you're challenging such a big group of people, such a big institution, and it's not only on a local level, it's not like only, you know, United States priests were not allowed to be women, it's an entire global issue at this point. Yes, and that's why I wanted to spread, because when the Catholics finally, uh, you know, understand that they have been betrayed, uh, it will be painful, just as it was for me. But um, I think then they will finally realize that change is needed and that they have been lied to. So not to be afraid of having women priests. And when you think of it, who better than Mary, Mother of God, to be a model for any uh, woman in the church, uh, you know, especially for the, the young woman coming up. And uh, speaking of uh, Mother Mary, now this, when you compare these dates, this is really shocking, but it's exciting too. <clears throat> there was a Pope Leo the Thirteenth. And in 1903, I mean, when you think of 2,000 years of church history, 1903 is very close for us. Yeah. Um, he received a painting of Mary in uh, priestly garments. Wow. And was allowed, you know, to hang that up on the wall. Well, we moved to 1913, and now there's a change. It was no longer allowed to have this picture of Mary hanging up. And we move to 1927. And completely, there was such a, a change about that there would no longer be devotion to uh, Mary Priest, as Mary was called. Now, right away, you know, the red flags go up. I'm thinking, wait right. a minute. First of all, who are they dealing with? I found this very disrespectful. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with Jesus's mother. Right. She was given this title, and now they're going to yank this title away from her. And the way they did it, um, there was a commentary from uh, um, a Roman um, official, and he was basically speaking to someone that uh, this article was in. And uh, to the newspaper person, whoever did this, and he basically was referring to Mary, Mother of God, as the question of it. The question, it was handled the way we wanted it handled. Hmm. It is better that it, this question stays asleep. And I thought, you're speaking to Mary, Mother of God, and now you're speaking a question like it's some an object right i mean this this just isn't right and in fact i have a petition uh on my website and and i would really like uh it's not just for women to sign it's for men it's it's for anyone that um feels that mary mother of god deserves respect and that woman's equality in the church in this day and age is important so if you could go over to uh, www, or excuse me, to yourradicaltruth.com 
and anyway you can personally see the items listed and if it's something you're comfortable doing with fine but this again gets back to giving attention so that the hierarchy of the catholic church if they're inundated with this petition with these numbers i want them to see that the issue of woman's ordination is something of importance and believe right. it or not there was a woman that jamie mason she writes for national catholic reporter and she said the pope our president pope francis back in 2010 he had a book out called on heaven and earth and our present pope said in that book that basically the woman feminist achieved the goals they wanted back when woman uh, the suffrage issue was taken care of uh 1920 uh you mean from that time on that uh, we have no uh, no issues at all but let's right. bring that issue back into the church right and it's just glaring this issue of a woman's equality today is not even on the radar of the catholic church hierarchy wow that's really str i mean it's not when you were speaking to me um about you know the time frame in the 80s and i was thinking you know women's liberation in the early 70s and kind of how that might have rolled over into equality within the church but i think the most striking thing that you've said to me so far is that when you mentioned that in the early 19 teens that this was a known fact and then by the by 1930 or 1927 it's been buried, the question. We don't want to question it. We don't want to address it because those, like you said, those questions need to sleep. So it seems a little um, calculated and a very- well, uh, Definitely. And um, you know, you wonder why they did that. And John Winchgaard mentioned at the end of that, he said uh, something, and again, is this coincidence or not? But around that time, there were other women, um, Christians, you know, from different faiths that were, were starting up this issue for women priests. Wow. So then when you see it from that little hint, it's mm -hmm. very plausible, definitely, well, we're going to, you know, cover this up. We're not going to have this out there. But it, it's just such disrespect for, um, for Mary. Right. And it, it just does, isn't right. Now, you look back way in the uh, early centuries of the church, uh, be, uh, even beyond the Dark Ages and the mid Medieval Ages, uh, it was awful the way that women were treated. And back in Rome, they, they basically, you know, were in charge of everything, all the surrounding our, uh, areas, and they started their own law. Mm. If it wasn't bad enough in the Roman civil law, uh, unless you had money at that time, basically, if you were a woman, you were treated like dirt. Mm -hmm. Well, the uh, Catholic uh, theologians, particularly in uh, Latin speaking theologians, they incorporated, uh, John Winsgaard said, they took part of this law and they shaped it into like the, the Catholic church law. So right off the bat, if you're a woman, you've already got two or three strikes against you. Right. Similarly, with this law, and now they're, they're bringing this law uh, into the Catholic Church, 
and it was just unreal that uh, women were seen as unclean. Uh, mm -hmm. They were sinful. And of course, at that time of the month, oh my God, mm -hmm. you couldn't be a, a priest. You would be so unclean, you, you know, to be up on the altar. And um, there was even this um, Peter, I think his name was Damien, and he went on with this total nonsense. Uh, basically, um, if there was like a lightning storm and it ever hit um, anything from a woman's, you know, that time of the month, that hitting that blood would just stop like any major uh, storm. Uh, it would make dogs go mad. Uh, if you had uh, silver, uh, it would tarnish the silver. I mean, it was just total insanity. And as well, there was um, a term called churching. Okay. Now, this again gets back to this uh, belief of this impurity. Uh, obviously, you know, when a woman uh, has a child, the child comes out, maybe uh, does come out with some blood on them. Sure. Well, if you were a male child, uh, the mother would have to wait then 40 days to, in order to get back into the church. She would have to be blessed by a priest. But here's the kicker. If you had a woman child, you had to wait 80 days. Now, isn't that convenient that they, they doubled it? Um, it was something to do with the, uh, the punishment they basically believed when uh, Adam and Eve um, were in, in the garden, you know, eating from that tree, that, um, that of course, Adam had nothing to do with that. I no. mean, he was completely innocent. And now they're taking it to this extent that because it's a woman child that, you know, you're, you're carrying that sin from Adam mm -hmm. and that, um, like the curse of Adam or woe onto you. It's just unreal. It's deeply entrenched in like every, almost sounds like a lot of different aspects of the, um, not necessarily the text, but more of like the, what do you call it? Like mores, like the modus of doing things. It's like the way that we, the way that we, our rules, our regulations are deeply entrenched in this like misconception and like misogynistic point of view for for centuries to say the least yes yeah. no literally to say the least i mean so in your book scandal in the shadows do you is this the perspective that you take when you're addressing um you know some of this information what is this like some of the information you cover in the book or oh yes there's so much information i i, I go back from the beginning in the sense of how uh women were you know treated and looked upon, and that was the earliest centuries, and then we got up to the Middle Ages, and uh, of course, today what's going on, and there's even biblical reasons that they have presented as being definitively reasons why um, any woman in the Catholic Church can't be um, a woman priest. But the latest research has shown it's cultural bias. Mm -hmm. In other words, it was believed that uh, uh, no woman was made in the image of God. Um, so you look back from the standpoint of the male view, they had dominion over woman, and woman had no authority. 
So to them, it couldn't conceivably be possible for a woman to be made in the image of God. And then there's the belief that uh, women never were allowed to teach in the church. And they'll say like 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verses 34, 35, or 1 Timothy 2, 12. Again, it's more cultural prejudice. And there was even a common law. They believed women's had like a mental defect in their emotional instability. I mean, there's just no way with that. How could a woman be out there in public teaching? And there was actually a common law that spoke to this. And of course, uh, there was a greater amount of women that had this condition as opposed to men. Of course. And then, of course, there was the belief of uh, um, Eve and, you know, the, the punishment that women carry for her sin. And again, this is going back to Genesis. And uh, obviously, if women were believed to be sinful, how uh, they wouldn't be the, the best stellar candidates for the priesthood. But right. miraculously, in the, in the church, there were perfect candidates. And these were the men. Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, we've all heard about how Jesus specifically chose 12 apostles. So that was believed right away to mean definitively that, well, there shouldn't be any other a woman priest at any time, rather now or in the future. But when you really look back, in Jesus's time in ancient uh, Israel, that culture was purely patriarchal. Mm -hmm. And Jesus knew that picking 12 men to represent the 12 tribes of Israel was, was a safe thing to do. There was just no way he could, at that point, choose 12 women. That just never would have took off. And then the last reason, because um, Jesus was male, we have to have a, a male individual presiding over the Eucharist. Uh, and again, this is untrue. But my question is, why, if this research is showing that these points have all been proven cultural bias as opposed to being biblical or of any nature, why hasn't the hierarchy changed that? Definitely. I mean, I think, um, I don't want to espouse too many of my own opinions, but I think you and I could probably agree that it's very, a lot more advantageous to keep up the status quo and to remain in power for these men who want to perpetuate this idea than it is to allow, you know, women to be also in those positions of power and those positions of teaching that you said. I want to, uh, I do want to make a point too, just because I think what you said was important about how logistically when forming the church that Jesus decided to choose men. And I think it's also interesting that in the Bible though, there's no shying away from Jesus hanging out or, you know, spending time with women, speaking with women. Mary Magdalene is a very big indicator of the inclusivity, I think, that Jesus brought to that time. And um, how it doesn't really, now that you're, you know, speaking to me about it, I'm starting to see a lot of, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like you were saying, probably the same aha moment that you had, where you were mm -hmm. saying the teachings that I'm hearing, they're not aligning with what I am seeing perpetuated by the church. And I think it's, um, it's quite 
revolutionary. I think what, I mean, in a, in a very modern sense, right? Because obviously, like you were saying, this is kind of in the 2000 years of the church, this past century and a little bit before, or really when these, like these things started going more hardcore and now there's a rebellion, I guess, in less, in a less sense of a word, but there's a pushback from people who do know the truth, who are reading, who are learning, and people and like you who are spreading the message of women priesthood in the church. Do you um you are you're a minister right now? Is that that's correct? Well, I'm a, actually I'm I'm not uh, I'm a, a Eucharistic minister, but okay, uh, I'm not part of the religious uh, affiliation of the church. Like if you're okay. a priest you're uh, a religious priest or you're a religious sister. I'm okay. part of the uh, parish community called the laity. But okay. yes, I can uh, bring communion to the sick, whether it's at their house, uh, nursing home, hospice, um, you know, facility. So what is, uh, can you explain a little bit for me what laity means in the context of the Catholic church system? Uh, laity means you're an average, everyday, uh, in my sense, like a Catholic, or if you're a Baptist, you're, you're not a minister. You okay. know what I mean? You're out yeah. in the pews, but you don't have like, uh, you're not able to officiate in any type of a ministerial way. Okay. But so, but you found a way to become active within your community through your activism, it sounds like. Um, well, believe it or not, I'm, <laughs> well, the COVID, with the COVID, this is really messed up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not really known yet as this, that, uh, um, amongst the church, um, yet what I'm really doing, so. Okay, so we're at the precipice. Of... Yes, that's right. Okay, well, I'm so happy it's to have you a, It's going to be a surprise. That's good. I was going to say, okay, great. And that, speaking of surprise, I do want to ask you, um, I want to ask you about your findings and your experience on the, um, you know, the child abuse in the church. This is uh, deplorable. There isn't even a word, a right word to describe that. Yeah. These are, I call them so-called men of God. Mm-hmm. And how they can do this, if it's bad enough to do it, they're doing it in the, the sanctuary, they're doing it in the confessionals, I mean, within the church building, let alone wherever else they can get children alone. Mm-hmm. And um, I have no answer why the Catholic Church hierarchy is using the word scandal oh, we can't have scandal. So what what do you do? Um, Let's pretend Father Smith uh, has has a problem that way. Well, we'll just move him out of uh, South Buffalo and we'll move him to uh, Orchard Park. Or if uh, Father Gary over there has a problem, We'll send him to Tanawanda, and this is the this is the God's honest truth. This is a factual story. Uh, I had been picketing for two years against uh, uh, a bishop here in Buffalo. He's he's no longer the Pope made him resign, but basically this one priest got he was let go previously by the last bishop. The new bishop gets in 
very shortly after that, this priest is reinstated. Now, something like that just never happened. So my alarm bells are off. Right. You know, what's going on? <laughs> so, of course, this priest obviously went back to his same behavior. So what does our bishop do? Oh, this was really creative. He wrote a glowing letter to a Catholic cruise ship line. And it was just glowing about this person's, you know, this person is beyond re reproach morally. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do? You're going to get him a job there and set him free? And if there's any children? Right. I mean, but again, it's, it's like some type of an ingrained uh, mentality that it's like a chessboard. Mm -hmm. And if there's offending priests, you move them there, 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 and there. So... I really believe until these offending priests can be arrested and be put in jail, this is going to continue on. But it's not only the priests, it's the enabler bishops, it's the enabler cardinals as well. They as well, uh, you know, have to be uh, taken away. And there again, this is why people see me as some type of a, a heretic. How dare you speak out against the hierarchy of the church? I have respect for people um, um, to an extent in power, but not if they're not morally um, doing what they should do. Right. What about the safety of our children? And I think that's not really in the name of what you are believing in either. Um, these people are using the cloth to take advantage of innocent people. And I don't- Definitely. Did you have a faith reckoning moment whenever all of this happened? Did it ever sway you? Did it ever make you question? Or did you, did it, it sounds like to me, it fortified it almost um, from how you're speaking, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. It, no, it fed the fire. <laughs> it does. It sounds like it. Yes. It, it's a blazing, but it just makes me so mad that this, this isn't Jesus Christ's church. Right. When you have these, again, so-called men of God in power, and they don't give, obviously, about, uh, about anyone, and even if it involves uh, someone's safety. Mm. It's all about their image. image. And How? they have just lied. They have just covered up. And it, it, it's terrible. And we had in our Catholic Church, it, there was a saying back in the 50s and way beyond that, uh, earlier, uh, pray and obey. And getting back again, you don't question anything. Well, come on, uh, we are way beyond that point. And we were out picketing uh, for women's, uh, for the woman, or excuse me, the pre-sexual abuse issue. And there's hardly anyone out there. And I really think it's awful to say what so many Catholics um, you never had to question, you, you, you did nothing. So, and unfortunately now there's so many in the older generation, they're, they're, they're older too, they really physically had to, to get out and help. But this is no excuse. Um, I think with the younger generation, and, and it makes a lot of sense, they, they can't connect with the idea of, of perhaps a woman priest because obviously, They've never seen a woman priest. Right. What does that really mean to me personally? 
if I asked them, can you name some woman priest uh, back in the early Catholic Church history? Uh, uh, you know, who is Lita? Who is Kao? Uh, who is Sophie? She was a deacon. Wow. Who was uh, a woman bishop? Uh, well, being Irish, I remember Bridget of Ireland. Uh, but seriously, um, they have no, they've lost this religious heritage. And that in itself is, is really sad. Yeah, I think that's even a better, I didn't even think about it in that perspective, but you're exactly right. It is a, not only is it a power struggle and not only is it, you know, misogynistic, it's also a huge chunk of history that's not being highlighted. Um, Where do you find the bravery and power to combat such a huge and pretty active force? Uh, it must be my Irish heritage. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I'm that fiery born, blood. I'm a born fighter. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just a, uh, it's really a personal conviction. Uh, it really um, hits me personally when I see something that isn't right. And um, I, okay. I, don't, I really don't care what someone else thinks. If I can somehow help someone. Wow. So you, I mean, did you, you know, you said the woman, one instance where the woman um, threw the holy water on to the crowd. Have you ever had to experience any other kind of, you know, harassment and backlash like that? Like anything that sticks out in your mind? Oh, well, yes. It was on St. Patrick's Day. And I was picketing in front of St. Joseph's Cathedral in Buffalo. And this FBI, former FBI agent was hired by the, uh, Buffalo um, Chancery, you know, like to protect the bishop. So he's the one that came over to me and started to engage a discussion and I was very uneasy. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's talking to me and I'm seeing, I'm facing like you and five cars are coming up the street towards me, uh, police cars in, in parked in front of the cathedral. And just about when the conversation ended, maybe just a little bit before that, I, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. There's one policeman on one side of my shoulder. There's another policeman here. There's more behind me. There's another one in front of me. And uh, the FBI, former FBI agent says, have a, have a good day. I hope it's not too cold out there for you. Well, he said that. And all of a sudden from behind me, I hear, get across the street. And I was like, I was like in daze. I, I turned yeah. around and said, I said, I'm confused officer. Have they changed the uh, laws for picketing? And he didn't say anything, but a younger officer said, ma'am, we're asking you nicely to go across the street. So of course I hightailed it uh, off yeah. across the street with my other picketer, Dan. Mm -hmm. Then they had the nerve, the officers got in their police cars and they moved their cars directly across the street. There were openings in front of where we were, where we were standing. Right. You know, and so that, that was quite an experience. But uh, I just want to add that back in 1976, the Pope has his own commission, uh, Pontifical Biblical Commission. Mm -hmm. And he, they came out and said there's absolutely no reason why women can be uh, ordained as priest. Uh, Vatican II came out with an article 29 saying to remove basically any type of discrimination 
in the Catholic Church. And there was even a theolo International Theological Commission in 1974, which showed that the ordination of women deacons is similar to men. They're both on the altar, the bishops there saying prayers over them, um, um, puts his hand over them. Uh, they uh, wear the stole around their neck. They both drink um, the blood of Christ. So if they would have acted on the 74 findings, there's no need to initiate the 2016 Deacon Commission. But yeah. why are they sitting on the fact that there's no reason that women can be priest? And again, how much more recent? 1976. It's, this is uh, a deliberate, calculated cover-up. And these um, men of God are not going to change, unfortunately, until the word gets out of the truth that there were women priests and as well as their findings that there's no reason why uh, they can't be women priests. Right. And I like that um, the perspective that you're offering is not that you are asking or challenging for radical change. It's that this is the way it's been. And so it's time to highlight the truth of the matter. Definitely. The real uh, truth. Right. Exactly. Um, before we depart, I just like to end it with like a little bit of a lighter kind of question. So I was wondering, you know, what do you do to relax in your afternoons? Like what is something that you do to calm down after a long day of writing or activism or researching and reading? How do you take a breath? How do you breathe uh, in? I love to go out to the cemetery of all places. There's no one there to bother you, but seriously. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I, I see foxes, uh, deers, wild turkey, and I just love being out in nature. You'll see like a red-tailed hawk fly, wow. and it doesn't have to be just in the summer months, even in the winter. You right. Know, you see the, the presence of like uh, the trail of uh, rabbits, footprints, mm -hmm. or the deer prints. It, it's mm -hmm. just very calming. I love that. I'm going to start enacting that. I've been getting out in nature more lately. So I'll, uh, I'll start looking for those like calm, serene moments for sure. Definitely. Uh, well, thank you for being on the show and thank you for your time. I'd love hearing your story. And if you don't mind once more, um, can you, you know, say the name of your book and tell us where we can get in contact with you and sign your, uh, your petition? Yes, it's Scandal in the Shadow, the original priest, Mother Mary. And you can go to my website at your radicaltruth.com that's your radicaltruth.com and i'd really appreciate if you would sign that petition wow awesome thank you very much and we'll see you later thank you so Bye. much sam thanks again for listening to this episode of what's cool an exploration of learning and connecting through our passions would you like to get in contact with us about your passions do you know someone who'd be a great guest for the show send us an email at whatscoolpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at whatscoolpod or on Facebook by searching whatscoolpodcast.